Royals and Ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! It's the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 17. We are joined by director, writer, editor, Mike Mendez. We got some demons to kill. The Convent, Tales of Halloween, Big Ass Spider, Don't Kill It, to name just a few. We check out his extensive horror collection, as well as hear some amazing stories about Dolph Lundgren, and find out how Mike's incredible and insane movies get made. First, it's off to the screaming room. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to, uh, well... We found you. This is Mike Mendez, and you have channeled the pure evil that is the Boo Crew! <laughs> the Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for horror homework. They terrify us, make us laugh, cry, and through them, we see different sides of ourselves and the human condition. <laughs> You're I can't make it through. Right. The main stars of many of our favorite horror films. Today, we talk about monsters. Do a sound yeah. or something. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And joining us today, which is amazing, the Boo Crew started off as a group of us going to see movies and then talking about the movies after we saw the movies. Horror movies. Horror movies. The discussions afterwards ended up being sometimes, in some cases, as long as the movies themselves. So we decided, hey, let's get together and do a podcast. And one of our OG members has been busy the past few episodes and hasn't been able to join us as of yet until today. And that would be Tim Timebomb. I'm on probation. <laughs> yeah, do uh, community service. <laughs> Two podcasts a week. <laughs> You're killing us, Smalls. <laughs> Out on bail, but no, it's good to be here. That's awesome, man. We would text each other like, uh, hey, man, let's get the Boo Crew going this Saturday night or Friday mm-hmm. night. It'd be like some yeah, scary movie. Yeah. It was a thing. And uh, it all started as just like, just we're just fans of like, Scary movies. Fans of haunts. Yeah. Done our delusions and gotten together and talked about all this fun stuff Mm -hmm. we're doing. There you go. That's the legend right there. (laughs) This is the origins episode. (laughs) (laughs) Origins But but, but Austin, you were the one that kind of like consolidated when you were like, we've spending more time talking about movies (laughs) than the actual movie, you know? It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think think you were the one that dawned on you, I think. It was after Conjuring 2. Yeah, Cinerama Dome. Yep. I even think like, we went and shit. saw Suicide Squad and talked about horror yeah, movies that after. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Well, that was a different kind of horror movie. I know. That was a horror movie. Hey. So, who wants to go first with their monster? Okay. I nominate Leo again. Okay. okay. <laughs> All I'm gonna say is he's a good icebreaker. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Oh, uh, come on, man. Guesses, guesses, guesses. Uh-huh. Tagline, tagline. Wait, wait, wait. Uh. Jaws? Wow, no. Dracula? Don't be afraid, no. be very afraid. I know, I know that. I know, I feel so uh, yeah. The Sandlot? No. <laughs> be afraid, be very afraid. Mm. 1986. Aliens? Wait, 86? Yeah. David Cronenberg. Oh. The oh, The Fly. Oh, good one. Yes. Wow. That's, a good one. That's a great one. Yeah. There is a limit 
even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. That movie does not get enough love. Yeah. Yes, yes. Monster Man, talking about Brundlefly, Jeff Goldblum, and Gina Davis, directed by David Cronenberg. This movie won the Oscar for Best Makeup, actually, and that was 1987, uh, Chris Wallace and Stefan Dupuis. The effects in this movie are phenomenal. The creature, the fly, is so grotesque, man. I've seen everything. I've seen horror. I've seen the real stuff in the hospitals. I've seen any gory movie, Evil Dead, whatever. This one still gets me. This one, like, still crawls under my skin. It's got some really crazy, awesome special effects. So, in this movie, you have Jeff Goldblum, who's a scientist, and he's working on this teleportation. He wants to, like, teleport things from pod one to pod two. He's very pompous, and he's very arrogant. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm the best and the smartest, whatever, you know, and I can improve on human condition and all that. So one day after he succeeds with a couple pets, yeah, and he's like, I'm just going to get drunk and do it myself. I'm going to teleport myself. But what he didn't realize was that a fly was caught in the machine. So in pod number two, when he comes out, he doesn't know that he's now a fusion of fly and human. So slowly he's like, oh, I got superhuman strength. Oh, I feel better. Oh, I can do these great things. I can crawl up the wall, you know. And his girlfriend, Gina Davis, is like freaking out, you know. Doesn't his face start melting off and shit? (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I remember getting sick when that shit happened. His teeth fall off. His teeth just fall off because, you know, a fly doesn't have teeth or need teeth. And there's a scene where it's a candy bar and he's like, oh, watch me eat this candy bar. And he's like, he vomits all over the candy bar. (laughs) I remember that. Slurps it up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I I just remember that monkey that doesn't make it, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Explodes in a pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The monkey explodes in a pod is, yeah, is horrifying. It's, yeah, it's horrifying, man. So, I mean, he gets worse and worse. Uh, he gets more neurotic and crazy about what he's becoming. And he's trying to solve the problem and he's like, I, I can fix this, I can fix this. He's trying to get his girlfriend in the pod so he can fuse himself with her and come out the other way, uh, human again or something, whatever, you know. It's got some crazy scenes. It's got a nightmare scene where Gina Davis, because obviously she has sex with him, and she has, she has, this is a nightmare sequence where she gives birth to a live, like, larvae, like a big... <laughs> that thing fucking oh. freaks me out. Yeah. <laughs> but his, his fingernails, he, he pulls oh, them off. Oh, I remember and that. Like, uh, special effects are phenomenal. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's practical photography. Though. Yeah. Yeah, man. totally. Yeah, this... this uh, like, in-camera stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really crazy metamorphosis. Like, the change that he undergoes from human to creature fly is really cool looking. And it's really grotesque. It's, it's, it's just gross. Like, it gets grosser and gross. He has to wear mitts because his, you know, fingernails, everything's all sticky and falls off and all that. But yeah, it's a really cool creature design. It's one of those memorable ones that is really shocking and grotesque and very underrated. You know, people don't classify this one as like a monster creature, but it really is. And it's a remake. The 86 movie is a remake from an original that came out, I don't know when, in the 50s or... 60s? 60s. Yeah. With uh, Vincent Price. But didn't that, was that, that was Vincent Price's head on a fly. This is the next level, right? <laughs> yeah. Not as gross. Yeah. It's awkward. <laughs> More awkward than gross. <laughs> so yeah, I highly recommend it if you've not seen it. It's got some of the really cool gross special effects. 1986, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, directed by David Cronenberg, The Fly. Who's up next with their monster? I'll go. I started watching horror movies really young, right? They used to scare me. I used to watch with my older brothers, and I didn't really connect with any of them until Frankenstein. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad 
is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. Nice. And I really yeah. connected with Frankenstein so much so I would draw him and his wife. I drew his wife also. I'm still drawing him. Frankenstein, 1931, original, was the one I saw, directed by James Whale. Of course, Universal. Jack Pierce also did the makeup, starring Boris Karloff, based off of uh, Mary Shelley's novel, which is considered, it's not only a monster movie, but probably the first sci-fi movie. Mary Shelley wrote the first sci-fi movie. That's pretty cool. So then I'm watching this Grateful Dead documentary last week, and Jerry Garcia, who I've never really had anything really in common with as an artist, no offense to that, but he literally says the same thing about Frankenstein. He says when he was a kid before music, that's who he identified with. And he would draw wow. pictures of Frankenstein. And I said that I was like, I almost finished the sentence. Like, I drew pictures of I, <laughs> I drew pictures of Frankenstein. I'm like, I drew, Jerry, I drew pictures of Frankenstein. <laughs> and it's actually part of the it's a great documentary called Long Strange Trip. I've gotten into the dead recently. Being a musician, right? Obviously, Jerry's a musician. It's, it's pretty interesting that we both identified with this particular monster. And Jerry was like saying, you know, he's an outsider. I forget exactly what he said, but like, you know, there's an outsider thing with, with the Frankenstein. And since he doesn't know he's a monster. But interesting about in Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein is called The Creature. Up until he's reanimated. And then he's the monster. And I love that book, too. So I don't know if this matters, but Jerry Garcia's Frankenstein that he saw was Abra Costello. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's a good one. Yeah. That's great. Mine's cool. probably a little more scarier. The first scene of Frankenstein, right? I'll never forget. Frankenstein and the hunchback are looking over the graveyard and they're burying the corpses. And you see this really creepy Grim Reaper. Just hovering. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, fucking yeah. scary, man. <laughs> and I've seen the movie so many times that every time I see it, I go, fuck, that Grim Reaper just chilling, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why is your Grim Reaper statue just chilling? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So random. And it was a skull face. <laughs> you know, I love that movie. Universal was killing it. I love all those Universals. Of course, Dracula in 30, 31. Frankenstein, Mummy, 32, Invisible Man, Werewolf of London, 35, and The Bride, all in that little area, plus a bunch of other great monster movies. So, And Jack Pierce probably did most of the makeup. I yeah, think, he um, did. Yeah. yeah, Boris Karloff worked with him. They collaborated like real partners, oh. specifically on the Frankenstein makeup. He wanted the heavy eyelids. Yeah. Like there's a lot of details Boris Karloff wanted to help him portray and create. And then Jack Pierce was working. So they, they had this great partnership. That's cool. And I think they did The Mummy together, too. And right. as a little side note, there's a podcast called You Must Remember This. Yeah, it's but, great. Yeah, so she did an episode, Karina Longworth, did an episode called, or series, actually, sorry. Well, it was, it's basically about Bella Lugosi. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boris Karloff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It's so good. And they're both pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They're both great. And they both what? came up in that Universal Monster. I know. So it gets this whole backstory of how, where those movies came from. Yeah. And, I think it was like Carl Lamley's son or nephew was sort of in charge of the studio right. at the time. And they he wanted to do Frankenstein the movie. Everyone's like, no, don't do this. That's a waste of time. And uh, then they said, well, you know what? Fine. Like he just kept hassling them. Something like this. He finally just made his little horror movies. I think Dracula was the first one, wasn't well, it? Dra the, Dracula the was the first one in like 30, February 31. Frankenstein was November 31. Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff was a total like rival. Yeah. It was like Biggie and Tupac. Right. <laughs> 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 it's real, man. It's real, and I, and I love them both, you know. But Boris Karloff's so charming, you yeah. know. He's, oh, he's yeah. so great. He's such a great. He's got depth, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I, I saw an interview with Guillermo del Toro because he has a big Frankenstein statue at his house, and he was right. telling somebody he goes, "You always wondered why Frankenstein, the Boris Karloff, has that 
unique like dimple in his, in his jaw. His cheek, got, you know? It's like sunken in. Yeah, sunken in look, you know, and he says it, it was because he pulled out its teeth. He had like dentures. Oh. And that's what gave him that unique oh, Frankenstein wow. look. Oh, interesting. So, so nobody knew that it was Boris Karloff would pull off his teeth and all of a sudden he becomes Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. And Boris Karloff has a bitchin' guacamole oh recipe floating around I've always wanted to make, actually. I know. He keeps bothering me to make every yeah. time. Or has it got just... sherry in it or some sort of weird yes. alcohol thing and people are like, what the fuck? And but he... we just planted an avocado tree, so. Hell yeah. Boris Karloff guacamole. <laughs> yeah. And he also has probably my favorite anthology show. Thriller. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Oh, that's yeah. right. That was the first yeah. time I heard about it when yeah, you were telling me about it's, that. It's incredible. It rivaled Albert Hitchcock's. I think they're both on Universal. I don't think it lasted more than two seasons. When was it? Like 50s, 60s? Yeah, like 60. And he was like the host, right? Yeah, he'd go, as my name sure enough is Boris Carlow. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thriller. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. What's, what's cool about just piggybacking off the Frankenstein thing, like, so there's all these different types of monsters, right? I mean, there's the werewolf. It's got sort of this backstory of metaphor and, and folktale. Frankenstein... There's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is one thing. Then the movie sort of created this other Frankenstein and which is perfect for cinema because it it has, like you're saying, Tim, it's got the monster doesn't know it's a monster. Right. The great thing I think about monster movies is that the monster becomes this thing that happens that makes us reflect ourselves back to ourselves. It's either a chaos agent or representation like Frankenstein. In the end, it's usually us or, you know, the non monsters that are the monsters of the film. The easiest example of that is. Guillermo del Toro, Shape of Water. The creature is not the monster. Michael Shannon is the monster. Right. That's obviously del Toro's take on it. So Rachel and I watched a movie that deals with the type of monster that doesn't have agency necessarily in that way that Frankenstein does or even the Wolfman. A creature that's just doing its thing and causes sort of that existential crisis that makes people have to react and become who they really are and again reflect us back to ourselves examples of this type of creature this this type of monster are like aliens or godzilla or jaws i don't know if you guys saw attack the block the yes. british film yeah, yeah so, Which, so, so good fantastic movie. yeah that's aliens land and they're just these things that happen and as a result people either step up or back down we become more of who we are or in show the our real selves yeah, sure, real selves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the one movie that we watched with, that we thought really uh, nailed this is the uh, Korean film The Host. Mr. Kim, formaldehyde, dirty formaldehyde. Pour him into the sink. Yeah, it's incredible. It reminds yeah. me of a lot of the classic big monster movies. Yeah, right. Like Godzilla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The title's The Host. I hadn't seen it before because I thought that it was about something. Like, the title made me think of one thing. The title in Korean, I'm going to try this and I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> but the Korean title is um, Womol? Womol. Something like that. Sorry, Korean-speaking people. Um, <laughs> which translates directly to... Monster. So the Korean title of this film is Monster. If they had called it Monster and I saw the trailer, I would have been like, holy shit, this is a great monster movie. I want to go see it. You probably would have saw it 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Instead, and then, you thought it was about Jimmy Kimmel. I th- <laughs> <laughs> That's a different different kind of monster. I know. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't even know where they got the host from. I think I know. But the movie's great. It's one of those things that starts with humans making a terrible decision, pouring all of this toxic waste down the drain that goes, that feeds just the river in the city. Yeah, the Han River. Yeah, the Han River. Mm-hmm. There's actually the director, Bong Joon-ho, who went on to do Snowpiercer and uh, Okja. But this was like his first breakout. This is like the top movie in Korea yeah. the year it came out. And it actually did really well in North Korea. And part of the reason is because there's a lot of making fun of America in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. So the thing that's great about this movie is that we have a monster that exists. So the origin of it is these Americans tell this Korean guy, this American scientist tells this Korean guy who's working for him to pour this toxic waste into the, down the drain that will just flow into the river. And then it sort of cuts to a few years later and there's a weird looking creature in the river. Cuts to a few years, uh, more years after that and there's this giant creature hanging underneath a bridge and people are like hey what's that and then this is like 10 minutes into the movie maybe <laughs> and the creature you know some monster Huge. movies they hold back yeah. on the monster yeah. this one like 10-15 minutes in the monster is it jumps out of the river it's huge yeah, it's the size it. of a big truck and it's running through the riverbanks, terrorizing people, <laughs> eating people, killing people. That's awesome. <laughs> the story revolves around this family. It's a father and three children, and the one guy has a daughter. And then at the end of that, the daughter gets taken by the monster. So the driving force is this guy who's kind of a fuck up trying to get his daughter back and his whole family helping him. That's the emotional thing. And that's the thing where the guy who's kind of a fuck up, he's the unlikely hero. He's the guy who steps up. You know, the government is calling it a virus and using that as a cover to kill a bunch of people. And the American government is behind this whole conspiracy theory that has nothing to do with the monster. And they're using it as an excuse for their secret agenda. So it has all these like political overtones to it but the monster you know just like in aliens the monsters are just doing what they do it's just existing and the humans are sort of the ones who both created it or using it for their evil agenda it's just there's a lot going on in this movie yeah and it's great because the design of the monster it was done by the orphanage and it's just beautiful like it's like when you see a beautiful creature even though it's like horror you know <laughs> you can appreciate it's, it yeah it's cool <laughs> and this movie definitely like celebrates that like when so- you see that scene when they attacks everybody, you're like, whoa, you're seen in broad daylight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's great. And it's like really well done. It's like a giant mutant fish. Kind of like a slug. Yeah. Wow. It's like a slug uh, yeah. with two main legs, <laughs> a big long tail, and then like some extra legs. It's like and, definitely a... And it's like mouth opens up in many oh, yeah. like layers a little bit. So Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> Practical? Or no. CG. Close, yeah. There's close-ups. So like, like Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I, close-ups, practical, but... I'd be 100% happy if they just put a person in a suit. Right. Yeah. I love that. But, uh, but it's pretty cool, though. Yeah. yeah. For, for digital, it's, you, yeah. you're totally with it. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah it's- we didn't pick a movie for ours, per se. We picked a monster to highlight. I think we both agree, probably one of the more interesting monsters in cinema, and that would be... The werewolf. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah, he did. Nice. nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of actually the oldest legends of human monsters in history. They used to persecute people who were accused of being werewolves or people who claimed to be werewolves as far back as 1521. When livestock would go missing or be found dead, they would accuse people or serial killers were often pegged as werewolves. The legend itself goes back all the way to 1 AD. Now, the first werewolf movie ever made was a silent film by Universal in 1913 called The Werewolf. They used a real wolf and a camera dissolve for the transformation effect. It's lost. They lost the film. It actually uh. got burned in a fire. And then after the release of Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, and The Invisible Man, these great universal monsters, effects legend Jack Pierce was brought in to come up with a design for their werewolf movie. And they didn't like it. The studio didn't like it. And the actor didn't like it. So Jack stuck with a much more simplified version of the makeup. And it was called Werewolf of London. Jack Pierce held on to his guns and really wanted this iconic image of a werewolf that he had envisioned. He turned Lon Chaney Jr., into the Wolfman in 1941. And the iconic look of the werewolf that we see now was born. And Lauren, you had some interesting werewolf Yeah, there's shit. like this uh, <laughs> Armenian folklore. If a woman has a deadly sin, she's condemned to spend seven years in a wolf form. Whoa. Wow. And she's like visited by this wolf skin touting spirit. She has to wear this wolf skin. And when she becomes this wolf... It causes her to have like a hunger for human blood. And first of all, she eats all her children first. Mm. And then she eats whoever's next in her family, those people and the kids. And then she moves on to strangers. Seven years of this whole werewolf thing. And I thought that was really interesting. What happens after year eight? Regret? (laughs) (laughs) Prison. (laughs) Well, the character was revisited back to cinema many times, notably 1957's I Was a Teenage Werewolf, Hammer's Curse of the Werewolf in 61, and it started to get really fun in the 80s with the amazing use of practical effects in the golden age of that. And the perfect demonstration, if you ask me. To me, it beats any monster heads and tails because of the transformation scenes that you get to see. And in 1981, we saw two amazing werewolf movies. It was Joe Dante's The Howling, with effects by Rob Boutin, who famously did The Thing, Greg Canham, and Rick Baker. Meanwhile, Baker had already told his friend John Landis that, oh, I'm going to do your American Werewolf in London movie. It was postponed for like eight years. So Baker went on and signed up for The Howling. Landis finds out and finally gets approval to make the movie, calls Baker and says, what What the fuck? Oh, no. What are you working? <laughs> it's time to go. And he's like, I'm, I took this other werewolf movie. He's like, nope, get out of there. So Baker went, left the howling and went to, and just consulted on the howling oh, and wow. hopped on board American Werewolf in London, which actually won, ended up winning Rick Baker, the first Oscar ever for makeup wow. in a movie. Let's not forget mm-hmm. 1985, Teen Wolf. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Michael, J. Michael J. Fox. I loved that movie. I still love that movie. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> Surfing on top of the vehicle. Yep. Yes. Styles <laughs> and boof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know, going back a little further, what about Abbott and Costello? Yeah, the there you go. Yeah. And then inspired and, uh, by American Werewolf in London, John Landis was hired by Michael Jackson to do the Thriller video. Mm, right. Oh, yes. I love that video. Yeah. Probably one of the first times <laughs> really yeah. being exposed to horror at that level when I was a kid, watching Michael Jackson turn into that weird cat. Some other great werewolf appearances, Fred Decker's The Monster Squad, Silver oh, yeah. Bullet, Underworld, Dog Soldiers. The werewolf movie that's coming out that I'm anticipating is... Uh, 
Taika Waititi's uh, sequel to what we do we do in the shadows. No, but that movie was incredible. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah what we do in shadows. So, yeah, he's making a sequel. It's called Werewolves, I think. Or, or yep, Werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. Werewolves. We, yeah. 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 W, w e apostrophe r e. That's funny. Yeah, That's werewolves. Funny. So not vampires, but now you got the werewolves. Yeah. Oh, it's like Twilight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who could forget the classic werewolf yep. appearances uh, in Twilight? Me. Right. Me. I could. <laughs> Who's that guy? What's that guy's name? The guy who plays the werewolf in Twilight. Team like Jacob. Main... Jacob. <laughs> yeah. Who plays him? Uh, Come on. How could we can't think of this? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He's in the Robert Rodriguez movie. Yeah. You know, the shark boy. Uh, what the fuck's his name? I don't know. Google so, it. He's so dreamy. How do you not just know his name? I know. Uh, <laughs> like, fuck, come on, just think of it. I right, come on, we gotta come up with it. What is it? Um Jacob. No, no. Uh Taylor Lautner. Taylor hey. Lautner. Yay! <laughs> I guess I'm team Edward. <laughs> She's alive. Alive! Beauties in bikinis, laughing, singing, surfing, sinning. Beach party lovers making hey hey in the moonlight while the monster waits and watches. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. This thing's huge. Highly poisonous, aggressive, fast, smart, strong. This is a big-ass spider. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio, an L.A. native who made his first feature film, Killers, when he was only 22. It got him into the Sundance Film Festival. It's been called one of the best horror-dark comedy hybrids of all time. That helped open the door to many projects, including 2000's cult hit, The Convent. The Universal Showtime documentary Masters of Horror. He premiered 2006's The Grave Dancers at Tribeca. He went on to make Big Ass Spider, Tales of Halloween, Lavalantula, The Last Heist, and Don't Kill It, among countless film and TV editing projects. Not only does he make some of the most thirst-quenching genre films for horror fans out there, but he is a massive horror fanatic and collector himself. We are honored to welcome Madman Mike Mendez to the show. Hello. What an intro. Thank you. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. I, I am humbled and blown away here. I, I, I bow to your horror geekness here. So I, I know what I have invested. In, uh, yes. That's awesome. You guys are not messing around. No. So, yeah. so what is your earliest memory of being exposed to all this stuff and getting the horror bug? I mean, it's not necessarily a good one. I feel like I always tell the story about it, but it's, it, is, it is what comes to mind. My parents would not get a babysitter and they would just take me to the movies and my brother seemed to like horror movies and you know for a three dollar matinee they let's take the kid it's fine so at age three uh, I went to see a movie called The Hills Have Eyes. And one of my first memories of life is seeing a cannibal reach into a bird cage and grab a canary and then drink its blood. <laughs> and then I was hooked. Um, so that and, and and Carrie. I saw Carrie also at a, at a similar age. And the jump scare at the end just sort of three years old. About three, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the jump scare at the end is one of those things that kind of left me. Now, the, the, the God's honest truth, though, I mean, I, I kind of think about it because I, I love violence, like, you know, over-the-top violence as, as, as shown in my films. And I, I do kind of wonder if that moment just really kind of warped me, you know? Yeah. Like, because, of, like, if, if you're starting out on life with the Hills Have Eyes, if that's the, the, the jumping off point, yeah. then, then it probably takes a lot more to kind of, like, mess me up and get me excited. So that's probably why it kills so many people. chasing that dragging <laughs> 
rest of your life. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, you know. So what was the moment where you thought, man, I could do this. I want to do this. One of the best film schools I think ever was was Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2 uh, and Evil Dead because mm-hmm. b- both yeah. of them are, are sort of you can do it yourself kind of thing, even though they're genius and they're brilliant and you can't do it because, I mean, they're just, you know, Sam Raimi is one of a kind. But there was a kind of like do it yourself kind of film school nature, particularly to the first one that made you feel like I can do that. I can get my friends together and make a movie in the woods with like one location or whatever. And so I would watch that a lot in like grade school and high school, uh, watch those movies a lot and Evil Dead 2 was just I just learned every frame of it and every trick and every piece of equipment that they used and how they did it and so I think I think those movies were the ones that kind of excited me and made me want to be a filmmaker take us on the road to the first film you made was it Killers was that the yeah, very first yeah. one you made yeah the road I mean you know it started when I was 10 years old my dad thankfully was into cameras and stuff and like the VHS camera was was very new and this is the kind that like you had to like strap half the VCR <laughs> to, your, to your thing and then you had the camera which was huge and it would break like nobody's business but but you know we had that and I had all my Star Wars figures and stuff and so we started making like stop animation like movies terrible because they were VHS it's not like you could really go frame by frame it yeah, was kind of clunky <laughs> chunk at a time yeah, you can that, set it on EP and record for 8 hours exactly yeah <laughs> that, that, that tauntaun would move forward and we didn't have like any editing equipment or anything like that so so that started and then, and then I kind of figured that making short films and skits was a way out of not having to do essays and school. So my friends and I, every time there was an assignment and there was an option to maybe do a visual presentation, we, we would make a, a short, funny skit or whatever. And that that's what it kind of started. And then we also liked Monty Python a lot because I think, you know, they also like to spray a lot of blood. So so we started kind of a club in high school where, you know, it was all boys Catholic school. So we didn't discover like cool things like girls and drugs until much later. Uh, and uh, we were good Catholic kids, but made weird shit on the weekend. And we just started like making these kind of gory comedy. Pretty soon, at some point, you go through high school and you realize that most of your time was spent with your friends, you know, covered in red caro syrup. You're like, what What are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I was like, well, make movies. So got a lot of like little industry jobs being like a, like a messenger or being a production assistant or whatever. And then um, I met someone who had made his first independent film. And it was no good. He, he knew he couldn't sell it, but he had a bunch of uh, short ends, which is the uh, leftover film back when people used to shoot on film. They'd have like, you know, you'd get like a, a thousand foot reel and only use like 700 feet. You'd have 300 feet left. So they're like, maybe we can make a movie with all these kind of short ends and whatnot. And so we set out to make our first film. And by some miracle that wouldn't happen now, we got into Sundance. You know, that changed my life. You <laughs> nice. know? So, yeah. What was the response to this movie? I mean, it, pretty well blew up for you, right? Well, I mean, it, it was weird yes to a certain degree it didn't get like a great distributor that like wanted to put it out wide but what it did get was kind of like a lot of like industry interest and I was a dumb 22 year old kid that didn't know that like yes when studios offer you movies you say yes you know I was like no these aren't the type of films I want to make I want to make these you know grandiose independent films and so I, I kind of was trying to do my own thing and I passed on a bunch of studio films that was the last time they offered me those so, uh, so I sort of regret it, but it wasn't anything that was like, oh my god, you you, you passed on uh, Blade or you know something that went to be well known. It was all kind of like, you know, lesser known horror action movies that kind of bombed. So I 
don't regret it that much, but but it would have been great to be like 23 and making like 200 grand a year. That would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, so I'd probably be dead now, but, but, uh, <laughs> but that would have been cool. I heard that you were offered idle hands at one point. That is true. Yes, oh, wow. yes. That would have been amazing. That to see that, that, that's, that's the one that, that I probably like feel like, oh man, if I had to do it all over again, I would have taken. But but the God's honest truth is like that that movie came out and nobody saw it, and mm. you know, and it didn't really do that much. So I don't I don't know how much it would have changed the the course of my life. I mean, you never know. And obviously, the only reason I kick myself is like that would have been a really cool check. Sleepy Hollow. Well, Sleepy Hollow is not one that I passed on. Sleepy Hollow is one that those are the type of movies I was trying to get. Okay. Uh, and Paramount and Scott Rudin w- were kind enough to fund a, a trailer for me and to kind of show that I can do it. And then uh, some young upstart named Tim Burton said, <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I kind of want to do that movie. And, and then funny, they stopped returning my calls after that. So, uh, and the, the God's honest truth, it was probably for the better because I my version would have been like a 15 or $20 million version. Tim Burton came on to a big $90 million uh, version, even though it's a little bit of a, of a weird thing because, you know, my hopes were, were pinned on doing it and, you know, I felt it was going to start my career and change my life. I like the movie. The movie's pretty cool. So, so it's hard to be too, you know, bitter about that. Sure, you know, sure. So. Next up was 2000's Incredible, The Convent. Uh, I mean, it's kind of just a strange opportunity that that a, a small company said, hey, we need to do a, you know, a horror movie. We owe one. We'd like to do something about nuns. I went to Catholic school. I'm like, that sounds fun. Can, can we make them demon nuns? They're like, yeah. Like, can we blow them up? They said, yeah. And I said, I'm in. So, uh, yeah. So we made that, that movie with Adrian Barbeau and, and yeah. Coolio for some reason. Uh, and, 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 and Bill Mosley, before he was horror icon Bill Mosley, he was already Chop Top and that's sort of right, but he hadn't been reason. reinvented, hadn't rediscovered been reinvented yet. By, by Rob yeah. Zombie yet. So, uh, so, yeah. So we made that movie, which is, you know, uh, was a lot of fun. And that one got into Sundance as well. So, so that was, that was cool. amazing. I remember discovering that at a blockbuster. Oh, good for you. Getting it just because of the, the cover. Well, and thank it, you. Yeah, and it said, <laughs> prayer will get you nowhere. Ah, yeah. And it was the first time I've seen, and I've seen you do this before. You've kind of pioneered the art of black light blood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I love. I just hadn't seen that done before. And you just kind of are looking for stuff to, to make stuff different. And I was friends with a makeup artist that I, that I still admire greatly called Screaming Mad George. And he was showing me all uh, about uh, th- these black light reactive contact lenses. Oh. And, and you know, especially at that time, this is early 2000, I did not like, I mean, I still have mixed feelings about CGI. I mean, obviously now you can do amazing things, so I shouldn't say that now. But back then, not so much. And so I was like, okay, this is a way to do like a practical version of, of a glowing eye effect. And then I was like, well, since we have the black lights out, I bet it would be really cool if we did kind of like this neon kind of blood stuff, you know, so. Okay, so Grave Dancers. Yes, then there was a bit of a... Of hiatus there not, yeah. not by choice but uh, I felt okay Grave Dancers is the movie that like I feel I need to do something more mainstream because you know I was kind of like you know feeling and it's true the convent didn't really help propel my career at all it was too goofy and too silly even though I like it it's the kind of stuff I wanted to do I was like okay this is not going to get me jobs so I, I, I tried to kind of do a more straightforward film which was Grave Dancers and unfortunately it took like six years to get it financed and get it made and by the time we made it, there was just sort of a glut of horror. I think at that time, like Saw came out, The Grudge came out, and yeah. everybody was doing horror. And now it's just me trying to do something more middle of the road. It just sort of blended in with a bunch of stuff, you right. know. Well, I remember it was part of that After Dark yeah, Horror totally. Fest, and they used to do this yearly for a while. And yeah. it was like eight or nine horror movies yeah, all totally. kind of unleashed at the same time. We, yeah. we were very lucky to be part of that first year because that was the year they had money. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so at that year, they had uh, cool trailers 
theaters and commercials, yeah. and they they got it out in five hundred theaters and stuff, and it was cool. It was it was a good thing to be a part of. It was uh, you know the, I think if I have a and it really is a minor gripe. The brand was the eight films to die for and the horror fest. Like the the films were just sort of like you know it didn't matter. You can interchange them, so I don't feel the. The films had their own identity so much, but the the horror fest as a whole was a really cool thing, and just the opportunity to have an independent film kind of be released nationally on that day, I, I super appreciate and, and think that was cool. So, and this was the second time you worked with composer Joe Bashara, famous for The Conjuring and Insidious, because he also lent his talents to the convent. Uh, Wait, was he a nun? Did you blow him up? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he came in afterwards. Uh, he had done one film previous. Is the only thing he had done because his uncle was like a, a sales rep and. He he did this movie called Joseph's Gift, which was like a Christian family film or whatever. But that same company was releasing Killers, and I, I had used the the theme to Suspiria, you know, in the trailer. Oh, the Goblin? Yeah, the Goblin, yeah. right. And, and he was like, who's that? I want to see that. And then just by some coincidence, I was trying to do this this kind of like uh, vampire movie that was kind of in the vein of Underworld kind of thing. And uh, again, coincidentally, my friend Screaming Mad George said, oh, I know a great composer if you're looking for kind of like a cool industrial kind of score. And so he introduced me to to, to Joe and so when the convent came up I was like oh my god this guy would be great you know because he, he at that time was doing kind of like do you remember the, the trailer for, for Strange Days it was the, the teaser it was Ray Fiennes and he's kind of black and white and he's doing the whole speech about you know the neurocortex uh, yeah. the playground of your own you know mind or whatever and there was this awesome like, like industrial music that came in and Joe had done that so at the time he was doing like remixes for like Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails and, and doing trailer stuff so I thought like oh my god this guy is like super talented and really great and I want this kind of indu- I was really into industrial music at the time like I thought he would be great and so that's how I met Joe and, and gave him you know his first horror movie that's he's, a he's story done, he's done a few yeah. things yeah he did a, did a couple things yeah, he loves yeah. dressing up as a witch or a demon so feel free man <laughs> well, well here's the thing I mean I, not that I want to like you know necessarily like, like out all of Joe's things but but uh, yes I, a lot of things have happened because of our collaboration so for one thing how he came on to Insidious and stuff like that is, is James James Wan's a very close friend. We've been uh, friends since Saw. And we did this very, very silly short film that nobody saw called Doggy Heaven for Xbox. There was there was a, a, a small time that Xbox got like six to ten filmmakers, horror filmmakers to do comedies. And that was their whole thing. They had they got James Gunn, James Wan, Adam Green, Lucky McKee, David Slade. And a few other people, I'm wow. sure, I'm forgetting. Yeah, nobody really That's knows this, but, but, yeah. but yeah, but there, but there are these 10 minute shorts. You can find them on YouTube at this point. And so we did one called Doggy Heaven, and Lee Wan L wrote it. And and uh, but this little short that I produced for him, you know, he just asked me as a favor to produce it for him. This little short was the first time that he worked with Lin Shay, and it was <laughs> oh, also uh, and I had recommended Joe because he had worked with me to score Doggy Heaven, and that's what began their whole relationship so uh and and in fact i was uh going a few years forward i was doing this proof of concept for this movie that i never got made unfortunately called overkill and uh joe was visiting set and james was visiting set and uh he had been talking to uh doug jones about potentially being the lipstick demon in insidious and then he saw joe kind of lit up he was looking at his phone he was kind of underlit 
and he said, you know, you'd make a great child molesting demon. So, yeah, so there's a few points that... Uh, Six degrees of Mike Mendez. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it does pay off to hang out with me. I guess. That's, that's, that's all I can say. So, so, anyway. Now, is there any coincidence when I was watching Grave Dancers? There's a Fangoria magazine, I think, hidden on the desk somewhere. Yes, I noticed yes. that. Yeah. That was one of the things. Yeah. And then I also noticed how near the end the cast kind of unexpectedly comes together as the Scooby Gang. <laughs> like literally, I, I, I they think, even look like it for a few minutes. Like I, right I, I think end. I'm just hugely influenced by Scooby Doo yeah. because I think there was a time there wasn't a movie I would make that wouldn't have a group of kids with flashlights walking down hallways. <laughs> right, right, right. uh, and and I just think that I just love that. But I, I do love Scooby Doo. I mean, who doesn't? I don't love the the features so much, but the the original cartoons. Yeah. Do you have a favorite project you've worked on? Like I have a favorite kid. <laughs> but well, it kind of it, it changes every day. Oh my goodness! I hope the kids are not listening. Uh, so. They'll never know which one it is. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say. And like you're saying, it changes every day, and it all, all depends. I, I would say, unfortunately, even though I had a lot of hopes for it, Grave Dancers was probably the the one of the worst experiences. Just okay. some, and again, it's not for any reason that just some movies have good luck and some movies have bad luck and some movies are just an uphill battle yeah and, like kids right exactly yeah. <laughs> this is a great analogy yeah and, and Grave Dancers I was always hoping was going to be an uphill battle that you know oh but it was going to change my life at the end and, and it really didn't you know I actually didn't work for a long time after that and then something like Big Ass Spider which was a movie that I was going to be like begrudgingly direct just because I hadn't directed anything in so long and felt like okay maybe I won't mention this to anybody maybe I won't talk about it you know because it was this, it was called uh, Dino Spider when I, when I had gotten it and you know it was just kind of a low level kind of monster movie and I was like oh I don't know about this but then you kind of get into it and then things happen and Greg Grunberg comes on board and then there's like this magic chemistry on set between the actors and then all of a sudden this thing that that you weren't that excited about becomes really special to you and and you know and, and so that that worked out uh, that worked out really nicely so so that's a really good one and and because I, I, I kind of spread myself all over the place as far as doing different jobs there, there are certain like four Gump, I find myself in strange, uh, you know, company. <laughs> so another just dream job that was great was editing on Beavis and Butthead. That was a, another, uh, oh, wow. that, yeah, that randomly happened just because they needed a comedy editor, and uh, I knew the the post super was a fan of the convent, and he's like, you know, I just thought like, you know, getting Mike Judge and the director of the convent together, I thought like interesting things would happen, and so they did a a season like about seven years ago. It was, it was season nine, and it was a return to MTV, and I got to make all the the music videos you know all the the you know things that they comment on or whatever and so that was that was an absolute blast uh, cool. you know, so. I just saw uh, Don't Kill It that looks like a lot of fun to make Don't Kill It was a blast too <laughs> yeah, Don't Kill It was fun it was it was quick I think the, the thing that's really just insane to me about that movie is that we had been trying to make it for about three years and it was constantly oh the money's coming in oh it fell through oh we're gonna get the money we're gonna get the money at some point you don't believe these people you're gonna go like oh, okay right the money will come through sure and then one day uh uh, it was about November. I get a call going, we, we got it. We're making it. It's happening. Dolph is in. Uh, you know, we, we got to do it. And I'm like, great. You know, and, and this is literally about two weeks before Thanksgiving. OK. And and, the, and I'm like, so when are we doing it? Like January, February? And they're like, oh, no, we got to shoot it before the end of the year. 
<laughs> and I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? It's like the, there's only like six weeks to in the in the rest of the year. It's like, yeah, we got to make the whole thing in that time. And so from that two weeks before Thanksgiving, I literally like two days later jumped on a plane, went to Mississippi with I think I think two weeks of pre-production, if that. Whoa. But but basically basically we made that entire movie from pre-production to final day of shooting in about a month. So I saw wow. a lot of uh, Christmas decorations. I was wondering if there were like real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't, wasn't like, no, so it wasn't like, it. oh, it's yeah. great to Christmas. It was it. just like, it's <laughs> fucking Christmas. <laughs> what, what are we going to do? And so we kind of throw it, he yeah. randomly says Merry Christmas throughout the film to kind of justify it and we try to add a little bit to it but that's just, we were just stuck I, with it. So That's cool. No, I, I love that movie. It was Oh, amazing. cool, man. Yeah. No, that was a lot of fun. And that Dolph's so good in it. Yeah, Dolph is great, and he was a joy to work with. I mean, that, I, I do enjoy that one overall. Yeah. You know that that one that was a was a good time. Is there a sequel coming? No. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I don't want one. It's, it's just the sad truth. Nobody, right. my movies don't make money. You know? so, so it's like I'm super happy. I get to make yeah. my quirky, weird shit, and then always like I hope there's a sequel. And then yeah. they're like, my kid didn't make any money. So no. Uh, so yeah, no. Dolph would would have loved to have done it. Everyone would have loved to have done it. But the bottom line is that yeah, it was. Yeah, and you would, set it up for a sequel. You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. we we would love to make a whole series of it. I would have loved to have made a whole series of Big Ass Spider or Tales yeah. of Halloween. It doesn't yeah. matter. Pick, pick any of them. Comic <laughs> I was ready to make a franchise, but I was the only one. So, uh, so you know. Now you got to work with Robert Kurtzman on that movie. Yes, it was the first time I worked with Kurtzman, which is I, awesome. I mean, being an Evil Dead fan, yes, totally. can be days, and yeah. they did all that stuff. And that was obviously, a lot of setups. Like, how long does that take? Well, the, the trick on that one again, because of the short time, it, it was two things. A Kurtzman kind of left K and B like I don't know, like ten years ago mm-hmm. or something like that to start his own thing yeah. in uh, Ohio, and so we were in Mississippi, and the guy. Honest truth, he was just the closest makeup artist wow. uh, you know, to it. It's like you know, he could get his truck out here and, and like uh, you know, in like a few days, and and that would be closest to the shop. It would be easier than flying people back and forth from L.A. and uh, and obviously he came highly recommended. I was a fan of his work, and I had met him in passing over time. And I needed really specifically for that that movie, I needed someone who just was an old school gag yeah. guy who just you know was was very quick and knew how to do all the tricks and whatever and because we had to kill so many people we, we, kind of, <laughs> we kind of fell in love with this thing called the guac gun and the guac gun is basically I'm assuming it comes from it's a thing at Taco Bell like what that like squirts your, uh, that, squirts that plunger thing yeah. yeah it's a plunger thing but, but you can you can add like like you know air uh, CO2 tanks to it and really make that fucker go you know uh, and, and so so, thing is, so that was sort of the, the I hope I can swear I hope oh yeah 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 sorry so so the gag was anytime we needed to blow someone's head off and we didn't have time, just like just flat him, just throw a lot of blood on his face, yeah, like yeah. fast. And, and it looks cool. It's effective. You know, I think uh, the first time I saw it was in the movie uh, To Live and Die in L.A. There's like a shotgun to the face. It's just, it's just yeah. face just kind of oh, goes. Yeah. I'm like, how do they do that? And so that was the, the trick to that. He also had just a bunch of neat little things that helped us so much. Like uh, he had a, an exploding head that was like put together with magnets so an oh, air. Wow. So you, you, can, you can put whatever wig on it, fill it with blood and chunks, you know, <laughs> blow it up yeah. and then reassemble it within seconds. And wow. then, you know, we digitally would change the face, you know, to, to whatever. So, you know, wow. uh, so I, so that's the thing yeah, is like, he really, was just really good. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> he was just very brilliant about, about having those kind of old school effects, which is what we needed. We just yeah. counting the casualties. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going Dead. for. Dead. It's a, it's a bad, it's 
in the 40s. <laughs> and, and, and the God's honest truth, this goes back to my, my me being warped by Hills Have Eyes. I'm disappointed. I only got about halfway through what I wanted to. Every, everything is about like I want to do about double that. I was going for about 80, but, yeah. but you know, so, oh well. The two weeks of prep cuts down on your casualties. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> the, the budget cut down on our casualties, the, the prep, all, all that kind of thing. But, you know, I didn't sleep much because I was... We had to, you know, I mean, when you think about two weeks of prep, like you're coming into a new city and we, we had scouted it previously. I was there like in July and we had found this town. I'm like, oh, this, this is, is great. This is Boondocks. You're far. You're, yeah, you're really far. Yeah. 50 yeah. miles from. Uh, from Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. And so I had found this town and when we finally went back in Christmas, they're like, you can't shoot during Christmas. This is our big season. We, we've decked out the whole, <laughs> the whole thing to be like a Christmas town and, and you can only shoot for a few hours. So then we had to, so scrap all that, oh, no. you know, we had to find all the locations hire the crew cast the movie storyboard it and plan it out you know in those like you know whatever it was 12 13 days you know and thanksgiving was in there so so a lot of the offices all the agencies were closed to make offers and things like that so i don't think i slept much i mean it's a miracle we did it if if you had to ask me how i did it i i I don't know i I can't i can't believe it but we did you know because you have to two weeks three weeks Uh, about two weeks yeah yeah yeah. and then then 17 days to shoot the movie so 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 it was like 13 days of prep and then 17 days so it's really about 30 days i think we had a day or two off in there somewhere uh i'm sure i slept through it like uh, tax breaks tax break yeah, Yeah, yeah yeah totally And again, we did have a lot of luck because Mississippi wasn't a place that shot a lot of movies. So and and I hate that this is true. It's like, but from L.A., they're excited that you're making a movie. So you find a beautiful house or a great church and they're like, wait, we'd love for you to shoot here. Like, sure. Can we give you a hundred dollars? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I feel bad for the poor people of Mississippi, but, you know, but but we had to do whatever we could. It's one of those things, I think, where that energy that you were, you know, it shows up. Yeah, sometimes when you're making chaos, you know, when you're am- amongst it, it just sort of like spills over into the movie, and, and it was appropriate for that movie. Yeah, yeah. So thankfully, it wasn't a slow burn. That was, you know, that be, <laughs> how'd you cast off? How'd that come about? There was he was He Man, you know. And- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> not only that, that guy has more science degrees than Bill Nye. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a chemical engineering. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, seriously, this guy's like a master's degree in chemistry. Yeah, I have wow. a couple of great Dolph stories about that. So my favorite story that that, that Dolph ever told me was because uh, he wouldn't open up at first. He was very much just about work, but eventually, you know, he, he would open up. And so he would tell tell me the, the story about how he, you know, was uh, studying in, in Sweden, was a, a scholar back then, and then he had gotten a scholarship to uh, to MIT. And so uh, he was supposed to meet, like, uh, all his professors out in front of MIT, and they didn't know him. They didn't, hadn't seen a picture of him or anything. They just were expecting this nebbish little little Swede to, to come showing up. And, and so he said that, that he rolled up shirtless on a Harley with, 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 with Grace Jones on the back. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Like 80s music video. That, that was their introduction to him. Uh, but but how, how, but how he came on board on the movie. So there was a time that um, Ron Perlman uh, was going to do the part, which would have oh, oh, been wow. cool, too. That wow. would have been, been great. Timing didn't work out. And sadly, um, you know, 
it, it just wasn't going to work out. And so another producer said, I just made a film with Dolph Lundgren and shot in Mississippi. Can we send him the script? And and we did. And, and uh, he just took a, a liking to it, you know, mm-hmm. partially because, you know, he is such a smart guy. Yep. He's u- usually just sort of like kind of grunts and shoots guns. And, and he's like, no, I, I like the the opportunity to, to like talk a lot. <laughs> so we had fun with it because for him, it was a challenge to like, like memorize like four page monologues. Yeah, he you had know, a, because, that one monologue where the cops have him of each arm. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that, yeah. Like, that was like a couple pages. <laughs> and so and, and I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, let's have a, a Dolph Lugger that doesn't shut up. You know, a lot of people react to him. And so that that was sort of the fun is to yeah. play Dolph in a very different way yeah, than great. we'd seen him before. And it paid off for him as well, because even though the movie wasn't a hit, that that's uh, what, what kind of led to uh, an upcoming role uh, in Aquaman. He would be a great Aquaman, actually, well, that, right? That, that was my he looks thinking. Like was like, he he kind of looked like Aquaman, yeah. so I was like, he would be like an awesome like undersea king, so I yeah. told my friend James, like, dude, like he'd be great, and then and then he cast him uh, as uh, as the king, or one of the kings. Right, nice. right. Wow. Well, <laughs> once again, being close to you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to what happens to the show after <laughs> It never happens to me. It just happens to people around me that good things happen. Where I just stay in the same shitty apartment making B movies. Hey, hey, uh, we but, won't forget uh, you. We won't forget you. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, but everyone around me graduates, which is great. So, I have a question about the title for "Don't Kill It." Well, I guess the question is: Was that the original title? The film is two titles: "The Demon Hunter." Oh, the Demon Hunter. Uh, yeah. No, it was always "Don't Kill It." Uh, it was a screenplay that the, these uh, two writers, uh, Dan Burke and and uh, Bobby Olson in New York um, wrote and uh, they just sort of wanted to make a, a, a fun kind of action film and that sort of just found its way to me but it was always called Don't Kill okay. it. That was that was their thing. Germany uh, decided that it would just go for the blunt the demon killer gotcha. <laughs> uh, so, which is fascinating and, and this was an interesting thing that I've learned about uh, you know releases in German that that they you would think that it would be I don't speak German so I apologize you know die you know whatever <laughs> something in German but apparently they prefer the kind of simple title in English, oh, you know, so hmm, so it is literally called the Demon Hunter in Germany. So not even Das Demon Hunter, right? You know, so, <laughs> yeah. Which would have been cool, you know. So. I like that, the Demon Hunter. That sounds yeah, cool. that's fine. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a that's work. a franchise. Yeah, totally. Right? totally. Yeah. So. Look, Stranger Things have happened, but I'm not counting on the franchise. It would be it would be great though. I mean, we definitely had a lot of ideas of what we'd like to do with it and stuff, and you know, and I think it would be fun, but. <sighs> <laughs> maybe TV show you know well, we there tried that too uh, no, no one was particularly interested so well, maybe okay. after Aquaman comes out then, there you then go it'll, it'll maybe, I, mean, it, I, I, I told Dolph <laughs> even when we were doing it it's like this is the beginning of a renaissance man because not, not only you know did he move on to Aquaman but then and not this had nothing to do with this was completely separate then he also got Creed 2 where he's oh. you know, coming back as, as Ivan Drago Ooh. oh that's awesome yeah yeah so, so he, has, he has these two huge movies coming back to back and and uh, a friend of mine tried to talk to him recently, or t- talk to his people, I should say, about uh, exploring a Don't Kill a Television. And al- already they were like, well, Dol- Dolph's kind of moved on to bigger oh, things now. Oh, so, so. man. Yeah, so. I would break you. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just people talking. That's not Dolph talking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes. Yeah, so I could call Dolph up and he might have a different thing. He could tell me personally, fuck no. <laughs> You know what you do? You ride up at his house, shirtless, with Grace Jones on the back of your Harley. That would be great. I have another fast Dolph story. Uh, It 
would, it would react some way. So he came over to my super geeky apartment, which is covered in action figures, uh, nice. including Dolph Lundgren figures. And uh, but this was my test if he was going to like the movie is that I had placed uh, Castle Grayskull by the exit of the house. Uh, and, uh, and so if he didn't like the movie, I wasn't going to ask him. But if he liked it then I knew that I could safely ask him and he would be in a good mood and pose with it. So I proudly have a wonderful picture of him reunited wow. with Castle oh, Grayskull. Nice. Uh, oh, it's on, it's on my Instagram. <laughs> Speaking of reuniting, you reunited a lot of the cast of Police Academy I in La yeah. <laughs> But you know, when you're doing this for no money, you find just whatever entertains you. <laughs> I wonder what Steve Gutenberg is yeah. doing. And so, so I, I could sit around all summer in my apartment or I could have the cast of Police Academy fight Lava Spy. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure I made the right choice, but, but, uh, but that was fun to do. That was, that was a good time. You know, after Big Ass Spider, you kind of hope that, that bigger, better things are going to be on the horizon. <laughs> they weren't. Sci-Fi Channel called <laughs> and said, we'd like you to do another giant spider movie just this time for us. And and uh, and so this thing, La Valanchula, came came about. And uh, But again, the, everyone involved with it was really fun, and the idea of having Steve Gutenberg was like, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. you know, we love him. Once he came on board, he is like, you know, I have a request. Can we put a, a cameo for Michael Winslow? And I'm like, oh! Wait. Oh, oh, you're down with that? Oh, shit! Yeah, son, we're going to town! So, uh, so then we got uh, Leslie Easterbrook and, oh. and uh, uh, Marion Ramsey. I tried for everyone. I tried to get uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. I tried to get G W. Bailey. Oh uh, my God! But I don't think they're either. I don't know if it was our casting people or their reps. I don't think it was sold correctly to the other guys because I don't think they told them it was a police academy reunion. I think they just told him you got this offer for this movie, La Valanchula. Gotcha. Most people's knee-jerk reaction to be <laughs> uh, myself included. But but uh, so so they they passed. Uh, uh, but it would have been it would have been really fun to get Bobcat Goldthwait. I, I, I had cast him ideally as the director at the beginning of the movie. But we got a, a fine substitute. We got Lee Wan L did me a favor and, and he he opens the movie. And that was <laughs> a lot so of nice. that was so a lot nice. of fun. So uh, and that was a silly experience. You know, uh, all in all, we had a good time. Steve Gutenberg's an amazing guy, by the way. What yeah. what what a nice human being. Like, you know, the kind of charming nice guy. That's not fake. He is just just, wow. a, just a ray of, wow. of sunshine everywhere he goes. So so that was really awesome. To Where's his renaissance? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, he's due for a renaissance. Well, yeah, he had a little not not quite not not like Dolph is having, but but uh, he did have a like a decent part on the the HBO series uh, Ballers with the Rock. Oh. So the next thing I know, I see him tweeting back and forth uh, with the Rock and I'm like, <laughs> "All right, that's cool." So, so I don't know. But yeah, no, great, great guy. Like really, really just a joy to work with. And he, that, that was a lot of fun. So did you have a favorite Police Academy movie? Probably the first one. Really? The first one I saw was the second one. When Michael Winslow <laughs> wait, wait, was doing wait, the karate up. fight sound effects. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's I, and Bobcat Goldthwaite, right? Yeah. 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 That was his and I was scared yeah, shitless yeah. of Bobcat, I remember. When I saw <laughs> 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 he, was the he was like a monster to me, right, the way he right, talked right, and yeah. stuff. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was a youth. I was really young when I saw it. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I like the first one. The first one is R-rated, you know, right. it's I think yeah. ones that's kind of like the first that's kind of like a comedy they, they kind of became their own thing eventually but, yeah. but I just liked the idea of taking old casts 
and putting them in shitty sci-fi channels. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, whether it be The Breakfast Club versus Vampires, whether it be... Now that I want to see. Yeah, yeah. Saved by the Bell against Werewolves, whatever. But there's I, your I, franchise. Yeah, right. yeah. These are awesome ideas. Yeah. So, I, so I would awesome. love to do that. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. So, Would you ever do a Haunted Mansion movie? Oh, in a heartbeat. No, yeah. one, no one will ask. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know the God's honest truth though is Grave Dancers to a certain degree yes. is a bit you know certainly has a haunted mansion vibe but yeah. we literally went after the idea of making grim grinning ghosts it's like how oh, how do you yeah. kind of like create the hat box ghost in yeah, kind of a more right. realistic form or the hitchhiking ghost and so right. the ghosts were were very much modeled after those particularly the, the grinning ones you know uh, in the haunted mansion so so that that was a uh, you know, I, I work with this uh, amazing effects artist named uh, Norman Cabrera. I just produced a music video uh, for, which is the reason I couldn't make it on your show last time. Uh, so uh, for those listening, I, I have a terrible burden that I have that I, I have flaked on these fine people three times in a row. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Now, first time I forgot, and that was just my bad. Okay. okay. Second, time, second time. I had, second time. I know this is the Catholic school. I have to confess. <laughs> <laughs> second time it was the music video then there might have been the third time but then I said I will make it there unless I am deathly ill and then I got really <laughs> ill <laughs> That's right. What music videos have you been doing? We just finished a video for a band called Municipal Waste, which is a thrash metal uh, mm. video. That was just sort of the fun of it. Uh, basically, uh, my friend Norman, who is, again, one of the best makeup artists, he's done a lot of work uh, on Hellboy. He used to work on his second movie was Gremlins uh, to the New Batch. Oh, you know? oh wow. Uh, but he's worked for Rick Baker under the years, yeah. worked on Men in Black, worked on all this. Thing. And, you know, he did all the ghosts and the grave dancers. And he's like, hey, you know, this band, Municipal Waste, they, they want me to do a video and I kind of want to do an homage to Videodrome meets uh, Lumberto Bava's Demons. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so, and again, that was much like the that, that short film Doggy Heaven that I did. It was completely a thankless task because we had no money. I don't get paid on these things. It's just for the love of making demons. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we made some very cool demons and Satan and Joe Bashara plays Satan in it as well. Oh, uh, I told you. So I told it comes you. around. <laughs> it comes around. I'm how, how many, what other have you done? Any other uh, music videos? When I was young, I did a bunch of garage band videos just trying to, to get experience and work and make a, a few dollars, but but nothing, certainly nothing worth uh, mentioning and nothing <laughs> worth showing. So you talked about a toy collection. Is yes. there like one piece that's your prize possession? Too many. It's like asking okay. you the same question, you know, like, or maybe <laughs> well, you I have do. a notebook. I, I never. <laughs> that, that right there. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, I, I realize. As I said it, I'm like, no, it's got to be the notebook. Our house almost burned down. Oh, no. Because there were well, fires, was, yeah. In, yeah, fires oh, in Burbank, God. right? Oh. It was right up on our hill. And seriously, I was like pulling the props off the wall and I was like, just make sure the notebook is with us. Right. Like, that was like <laughs> my most important Oh, that must prop. have been horrifying. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't imagine like, you know, if that would happen. That is obviously anybody's worst nightmare, especially if you're a collector or everything, you know, going up. So, you know, I would just have to like grab armfuls of, of stuff. My my main uh, vice is uh, a company called Hot Toys. Yeah. You know them? Yeah. 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 So so I have this amazing, but again, I love so much horror stuff too. I have this amazing like DeLorean 
and, and Doc and Marty uh, in <laughs> nice. a six scale that I love. And I also have a Batmobile in the same scale that, that I, I absolutely love. But I also have like a, a pull from like the uh, the alien warrior from uh, James Cameron's Aliens. Yeah. So I have that. That's another one of the prize ones. Ah, so much. I mean, I, I love my toys. Just, you know, I mean, it's just I've spent my entire life collecting and amassing them. So, so it's hard to pick just one. One that like you haven't acquired that you really, really want that is I, super I, I, rare. I, 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 I will say that I, I do have most everything that I, I really do feel that when I go to like conventions and stuff, I feel like I got it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got all this stuff. You know, uh, lately, I, uh, a gift, and again, it's always nice when you do kind of selfless things like that music video. I did get a, a wonderful gift, which was a pull of the of the sign from the Haunted Mansion. Oh, uh, oh wow. So, so, yeah, so I have an exact replica of that. How but, many haunted mansions have you been to? Oh, not not that many. Probably okay. only the one in Florida and the one in L.A. I've not been mm. to the not, not been to Tokyo, and I haven't been to France. Which so. one's your favorite? That I mean, just because I grew up in L.A. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I got to love this one. You know, the the most. I love the exterior of the Florida one. I think that that's really great because I never really put together the you know New Orleans manor thing. Yeah. But but now I've kind of grown to to kind of appreciate it. And especially going to New Orleans, it was like it's all like the haunted. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that, that was great. So if anything, I would love if there things I would love to acquire would be more one-to-one scale hitchhiking ghosts and hatbox ghosts. Mm, I, nice. I would say those would probably be kind of big deals for me at this yeah. point still. You know, I, I love actual replicas of, of props, so and then, you know, God, there's so many things. I mean, when I'm sure you guys were all at Monsterpalooza, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, yes. Just had a hunch. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the auction houses had, like, a bunch of stuff, including, like, uh, the miniature cabin from Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and I was like, oh, man, that would be... That would I was, be, like, yeah. drooling going by <laughs> yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, really great stuff. I have a friend that, like, on the early days of, of eBay, bought one of the chainsaws from Evil Dead 2. Oh, oh wow. Oh. Now, early days, he probably got it for a steal. Uh, absolutely. He, got, now, he right? got that, and he got, like, a chest, uh, Ash's chest plate from Army of Darkness. Wow. That wow. Yeah, wow. totally. So, I don't know, but as you guys know, as collectors, it's... Uh, a slippery slope it and it sure never is. ends. No, you it know? never does. I mean, it never, you're never fully satiated going, I have it all. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Know? All, when you think you do. All you want is, <laughs> is more space and more, uh, you know, more space to display stuff. So, you know, I mean, I really would like to have like, it is a strange kind of mindset, and you, you do feel sometimes like you're a lunatic or whatever, but I do have some good role models. Uh, Forrest Ackerman, who had the Acker Mansion, yeah, yeah. you know, had a place just dedicated to it. Guillermo del Toro uh, has the uh, Bleak, Bleak House, yeah. you know, which has been on tour. Uh, did you, you know. go to the, did you oh, go course, see it a lot? Yeah, Wasn't it amazing? Just, just to feel I'm not alone in this right. world. <laughs> right, <laughs> there, right. There are others like me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then Peter Jackson also has a similar thing in New Zealand. And my understanding is he's got a, his guest house is a, a, a hobbit house is a, oh. like a like a recreation of Frodo's place. Uh, yeah, it was a similar thing to, to what you got going on. My understanding, I heard this Jack Black mention it on like to Letterman or something like that, is that you pull a book in the library and then it opens up and you go down into a dungeon. Oh, and, uh, there's, there's skeletons in the wall, uh, you know, chained up or whatever. And then you kind of go down and then you start hearing like birds chirping and stuff and it starts to get lighter. And then you see the round door at the end and then it's Frodo's house and that's the guest house and it's just decked out with plasma TVs and you know whatever that's amazing yeah, <laughs> so great another another huge role model for me and I'll never I'll never have the means to do this but but Rick Baker when he had his shop in Burbank yeah I've been uh, there 
Yeah, oh, it was amazing, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you know, he would make like the sconces, uh, you know, by hand, and and he would do like the monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. He's like these kind of angry apes, like just the different like kind of just like you know wall buttresses and things like that. And then his office was on on like you know kind of a balcony, and he looked out onto a homemade cemetery. That had like a huge like gray grim skyline and then like, you know, like skeletons and stuff hanging out of the of the ground and stuff. And then you had a museum of all his work, you know, Mighty Joe Young, the Grinch, uh, Bell Lugosi from Ed Wood and, you know, uh, all these just amazing yeah. props or whatever. Oh. And, and so, again, it's like there there are others out there like us. But, you know, every time someone comes over to my apartment, like like Dolph Lundgren, they, they go like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Either they get it. Or yeah, they're just like, totally. what? yeah, I mean, I get a lot of 40 year old virgin comments. That's sure. probably the most com- <laughs> common one. The darkest one that I ever got was from Joe Dante came over and, and, and said, I mean, this is bleak, man. He goes, he's like, this is amazing. What what are you going to do when you pass on? I'd like to think I have a little bit of time yeah, exactly. I don't have to worry about it quite yet, but uh, what about your own stuff? I mean, making all these amazing movies, there's tons of props lying around. What do you keep? I would be keeping everything I could. Like you, if I, I, I try to keep whatever I can. But yeah. Unfortunately, I think the movies are so low budget that we don't get these awesome hero props. So the, the best that I have is is I have all the Grave Dancers. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so I have a, a whole uh, cabinet of them. But like, don't kill it because it was so much slapdash just throw blood and blow up heads. There's nothing really to keep. It's like, I've got a jar of fake blood, you know, like, what are you going to do? You know? So I think all I have that is I have the, the spoiler, the flask uh, that, that the demon is put in at the end. So uh, just cause it's, I like the idea that I have the demon, you know, that, right, that's right, the last right. place we saw it. That's, that's where it is. So whenever I can get masks or silicone things, I kept one prop from Lavalanchula and then they borrowed it for Lavalanchula too. And then I never got oh. it back. So you got to be careful. It's like, you want to hold on to that mm. stuff. But believe me, if I, if I was making movies the size of, of Guillermo or whatever, yeah, like him, I would be keeping as much of it as I could. Right, so, right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think that's what he's like, he, what he usually funds some of the props himself so he could take them when he's done. And because he is who he is, a lot right. of people give him gifts. You yeah, know? It's, yeah. It's like, oh, we'd love for you to have this and display it in your house, you know, or whatever. So right. well, that's why I want to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you ever cross paths with uh, Bob uh... Burns? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, that look, there, there are places on this earth, you know, like the Louvre, which are <laughs> Is amazing, but for me, that the, the happiest place on earth is Bob Burns' basement. Uh, so, so for those who don't know, Bob Burns is is probably the most famous kind of geek collector, and has. And again, I, I almost think it's a tragedy he was never able to kind of publicly display this stuff because he's got the puppet queen from aliens yep. he's got uh you know the nostromo uh miniature from alien he's got the cantina aliens from star wars he's got yeah. the time machine i mean it goes on he's got stripe from gremlins he's got gizmo in the little pink barbie car none of these are replicas you know these are all yeah. given to him by the effects artists or the directors as a gift because he's such a huge collector he used to do these amazing haunted houses uh oh, yeah. in here in burbank you know which i wish i knew about 
about there was no internet when I was a kid, but uh, he would do these kind of like the equivalent of home haunts, but he would basically a show. So he would do like The Exorcist or Creature from the Black Lagoon or Alien. And he'd get like kind of like the best industry professional, Rick Baker, the Skotech brothers who like would do all these amazing miniatures and stuff like that. And they would all help out uh, and do this kind of Halloween show for like the week of Halloween for the neighborhood kids. And and a lot of great relationships were, were made there. You know, a lot of people got their first job just from from working with him and whatnot. And uh, so for this Halloween show and just just because people would give him these props, you know, because they they knew him. So so when he was doing the alien show, I forgot exactly how it started, but basically, you know, he had borrowed like a panel or something like that. And then they were like 20th Century Fox literally called him up. He's like, we have a bunch of this stuff. Do you want it? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then apparently two full trailer trucks showed up at his house with oh. all the sets, with miniatures, with the the rover that uh, you know is barely in the movie, but but it was drivable and what with the space jockey, with all all this just you know <laughs> yeah. crazy stuff that he still has most of it. You know, uh, I think he'd already begun you know his collection, but but it certainly continued because you know he was friends with Stan Winston or he's friends with James Cameron or he's friends with whatever, and everyone. It was almost kind of a an honor to give Bob a, you know, a piece of the collection or whatever. And so he's got the stuff here in Burbank, just at his house. You have to, you know, know him somehow personally to get invited. He's, he's, you know, unfortunately elderly and not, not in great health. So it's always like, ah, oh, he's not feeling up to it. But so it took six years mm. of me, like asking a friend, look, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And finally I was able to, to go and it was just. It blew my mind. I mean, wow. it's just just what, amazing. What about the props from uh, the Halloween short, like the little alien? Oh, from yeah. your short? Yeah. yeah, I love that little short. The, the, oh, thanks, man. Uh, I, ha- I, I have. I wish the, it was longer. Oh no, I have. A, that's the opening scene of a feature that no yeah. one will let me make. Uh, so, yeah, it's so good. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, the stop motion. I should have. I should have been more insistent, but the stop motion animator kept it. Oh, right. I know. It's that thing because we're, you know, we we don't have that much money. So it's like, you know, will you animate? I think I paid him 600 bucks to to make the puppet and, and do all the animation. And it's like, great, I paid you nothing. I'll just take that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I get that. Yeah. I should have been smarter and said, you need to make two. How big was the little guy like this big? Yeah, it was pretty much like, uh, yeah. you know, exactly what it appears like in the movie. But yeah, that was great. I love stop motion animation. Yeah. So I got to say that segment summed up probably everything I love about horror films. Oh, cool. In Thank one you. little segment. Oh, it was amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I also think you, besides Blacklight Blood, have put your signature mark on um, possessed demons who glide on their tiptoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? That's that's your trademark move. I, I do like that. Yeah, it's totally, amazing. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with for that trick? You know, you have to kind of suspend them on some, you know, something like that. You know, well, this is good on a podcast. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they basically have to like sit on a saddle that that's hooked up to a dolly, uh, and then and then you can you know drag them so that their feet drag or whatever. Oh, so, so, great, so yeah, so that, that that was fun. Tales of Halloween was also you know we talk about those very special projects, yeah. and I, I don't like that this is the lesson I've learned, but. You know, a lot of the times the things that are the most special and been the most fun are the ones that don't pay anything and are just, mm. you know, you're just doing it for the fun of it. Tales of Halloween was 100 percent just for the joy of we know so many people that love horror movies. We know so many people that are filmmakers. Why don't we all kind of like get together and like a like a jam session and and do something together as friends? And, and that was really kind of a magical experience that we can never recreate. Because it, it gets complicated trying to do it again. Because, you know, you can only make everyone pull a favor once for no money. And then mm-hmm. if you start doing it again, it's like, well, we did that already. So, you know, so there there's... We run into a lot of problems about making a, a second one. Like, 
Sorry, that's my my phone. Oh, I like it. <laughs> it's it's appropriate. <laughs> what it is. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, so so the issue becomes like you know who comes back, and then all your other friends who didn't get involved in the first one are like, well, I've got a short, and so many people have, have uh, you know hit us up to to do another short that it was just like I, I think it's just best to leave that alone and just you know we did it and you know walk away from it or whatever, but. But it was a real special experience. So they did it win a, an award? It won a Saturn award, yes. Right. Yeah, totally. For, the, for cool. the Blu-ray, yeah, yeah, which is great. Saturn's so. cool. Yeah. Saturn's are awesome. <laughs> That's a good one to win. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, totally. I'm down with it. So. One of your processes, a lot of processes, you're a director and editor mm-hmm. on your films. How is that for you? Like, how is that in planning out the film and then your post-process? Yeah, it, it's been a, honestly, like, it, it's funny because I always tell people I, I work my way backwards. I started as a director and I'm just moving down in the industry. So, uh, so <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I started editing largely because I had no other skills, you know. It's like I went straight from, you know, uh, college dropout straight into my first independent film, started making money as a director and then realized that I, I don't think I can make a living as an independent filmmaker. So I had to kind of like, like, what the hell do I do? But I knew how to edit because of editing my films. And at first I was like, man, this sucks. This isn't what I want to be doing. I want to be a filmmaker. But then it's good to learn another trade and see things from another point of view. Because now when I edit and when I, and I, and I do a lot, I'm always trying to keep busy on just several projects. Your mind is always about storytelling. You know, your, your mind is all it's like, even though I may take time away from directing, I'm never... I never stop telling stories, even on my stupid Instagram movies. You know, it's like that's part of the reason I do it is, is just I, I like putting images together and making stories. So when I go back on set, when it when it has happened, then I'm like, OK, now I'm directing, you know, a movie or two movies in a row or whatever. You know, my mind, because I've been thinking like an editor, it's like I, I know exactly what I need. I know how it's going to cut together. And, and it's been nothing. If anything, it's it's strengthened my filmmaking skills. And so it's been great, even though it wasn't like, oh, man, I didn't have aspirations necessarily be an editor. But it's just great that that I can honestly say at least I've made it the last 20 years just working on movies and just make and, and lately just working on horror movies for the most part. So and that's lovely that's great yeah. and, and and i'm always happiest when i'm working on horror movies for instance it's not something i i directed on but was a, a joy to work on i just finished a, a movie called nightmare cinema which is a, a little bit of a cousin to tales of halloween actually what, what it's closest to is a, a theatrical version of the showtime uh series uh masters of horror Mick Garris uh, got together a, a small group of filmmakers, Joe Dante, David Slade, Alejandro Bruges, and Yuhei Kitamura, make sort of an international Masters of Horror called Nightmare Cinema. And I got to, to edit all of the work with those filmmakers and, and, and do wow. that. And that was fun, you know, because we're just, I'm making horror movies with Joe Dante. And, and so, <laughs> you know, so it's like, okay, I may not be directing, but like, this is a blast, you know. Yeah. It's like I get to work with people I admire. I get to see how they work. And I get to help them make films. And so, so, so that's a lot of fun. Overall, I think, I think the editing helps. I think it's cool. I think a lot too, like in horror films, a lot is also in the building of suspense. Yeah, which sure. I think totally. Yeah. Comes with the editing process. Yeah. I think it just sort of changes, you know, your, the way you think and the way you approach things to a certain degree. And, you know, you have the, st- you know, I also write. So, you know, so there's that point of view to look at, but it's cool to kind of just, you know, especially, and that's part of the reason I'm trying to make the transition into television directing is that it's invaluable to just know what you need. Just to know the pieces you need. You can move so quickly of like, I need I need a two 
shot. Hey, this master, I need that one close up. And, you know, and then boom, scene done. On, on we go. And that really helps, especially when, you know, you're in Mississippi and you have 17 days. If you're uh, directing, writing, and editing, do you ever make like an alias for editing name? I should, but no, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I'm stupid. I just, I just take the credit anyway. Yeah, okay. I really should. I, I really should start using aliases because because I'm I, my name's on some questionable things. Uh, are, you, are you editing on a, a laptop? Or are you going to like? No, no. I just edit? have a I just have a you know a home system or whatever. Yeah. Just you know two monitors and a and a computer. Oh. I mean you know thankfully that's the one thing that you know I tell any filmmaker. It's like there's no reason that you shouldn't edit. I mean, the, the yeah. tools are there. And now, now yeah. especially just filmmaking in general, whether yeah. it's, you know, whether I mean, I'm, I'm not encouraging anyone necessarily use your iPhone, but you can, yeah. you know, uh, it's like the tools are all there. Hey, I mean, Steve Soderberg did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand quite why. <laughs> Other than to prove you can. Right. I, I remember like in, in starting off in, in college and stuff like that, you had to shoot on Super 8 and 16 and, right. you know, you had to buy the film, you had to develop the film you had to edit it by hand and you know and it's just like god it's so much easier now you know so so you know i just would encourage any filmmaker yeah by all means you should know how to do that what about the mike mendez movie that i've heard you talk about and hasn't been made yet dead stuff my short in tales of halloween is the opening of dead stuff oh Oh, man dead stuff has to be made i know right uh that's the reason i i did it was because sadly i do come to that realization i'm probably never getting this movie made so i'm just like and and it's frustrating because you know you pitch it to people and people don't get it and I'm like look I'm just gonna go fucking make the first like <laughs> seven minutes and see if you guys get it and then people you know seem to understand and then I, again you feel not so crazy of like see that the people get it you know and again it's actually it's actually nice to say that and hear that because it's like you know I'm trying to get a movie made right now uh, there's a script I believe in and a bunch of people have passed on it and like eh, we're not really making that kind of thing eh, we don't really see it. But I feel passionate about it. I'm like, I, I I know it could work. I know I know it's cool. So it's actually you're kind of reminding me with dead stuff of like, yeah, sometimes you just have to keep pushing despite if everyone tells you no, you know, if you believe in it, you, you should, you know. So what about things like, you know, Indiegogo and, you know, crowd fundraising, things like that? Does it really work? Is that enough to I get mean, a movie it, made? It has. I, I think it worked more in the past. I think everybody's done it. So I think people are a little a little bitter about it. I don't know. And maybe this is just I, I just perhaps have too much of a of a shitty attitude about it that that i don't like it you know i i don't i don't feel any like i might as well stand at the edge of a freeway you know with my hat out saying hey i want to make money i i i don't like that feeling of it and again people do it and and they're big believers in it and obviously you know you see things like super troopers or the veronica mars movie or whatever uh i just saw a very interesting movie called uh, director's cut from adam rifkin that pendulette um, you know, stars in, and they had a massive Kickstarter fund, and that's how they got the movie financed. You know, I, I had a friend who did a Kickstarter. She didn't turn it in on time, and all her fans turned on her. Oh, really? Oh, oh wow. very sad. Oh, very sad. Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but <laughs> that's the thing is, you have to kind of keep everything open when you're an independent filmmaker right. you know you have to keep every possibility someone approached me recently going like so i know this uh marijuana dispensary that has so much money they don't know what to do with and they want to make a horror film would you be interested there's an element in the film that i'm trying to make that there's a drug element and like would 
could you just make it like a new strain of marijuana? I'm like, if they give, if they fund the movie, fuck yes. I will. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so, so I'm open to whatever at this point, because now yeah, we're in a strange time where it, it's even harder to make independent films right now. Uh, you know, there used to be a time, I guess the heyday was in like the nineties or whatever, when you could release your movie on DVD or whatever. But now, you know, Netflix doesn't care about the little guy. Uh, none of them do, you know, they, they, they will, Go, oh, you made a film. That's great. We'll give you 50 grand uh, for all the rights. And, you know, and and, and so it's hard, you know, you have to kind of think about how to do it at the right price and something that could hopefully break out. And um, people aren't so keen to invest in it because it's just harder to recoup at this point. What's the best advice? Because we're all like little filmmakers. What's the best way to raise money? Ah, It's hard, right? How do you do it? it, It's been different every time. Uh, I don't don't think there's What's your favorite way to do it? Well, my favorite way is you find a company that likes the script and and gives it to you, you know, like, you know, that that, that would be the the most straightforward and, and nicest way. But, you know, my first film was was credit cards and loans mm. from families and, you know, and and yeah. uh, and, you know, however we could. Second movie was uh, the convent, which was a little bit of a they've been indicted. I can say these stories now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was this company that would uh, like have this boiler room operation and they would like raise a ton of money. And then like, if they needed to, you know, make a million dollar movie, they'd raise $3 million and then, you know, spend like half a million dollars on the film, keep two and a half oh, wow. and somehow keep staying in business and keep raising money off of them. They, wow. they, they did that until, you know, they were basically run out of the country. I'm pretty sure they fled the country at this point i don't i I can't find any records of them at this point so (laughs) anyway but when you want to re-release your movie years later it Uh, leads to messy paperwork and stuff like that because now you've had a movie uh, a company that has you know been put out of business has declared bankruptcy other people buy the rights and so i don't even know who has the rights of the convent at this moment i I just kind of realized it because it, it appeared on amazon uh, streaming recently on Amazon oh it did Prime. wow yeah wow. not not and this is the reason it bothers me because a crappy four by three version not a not a wow. HD sixty mm. by nine I have found the elements I know where they are I can't I need to find a company that's willing to do the transfer and and worthwhile and so but it's messy because again this company is out of business and uh, all the rights are kind of scattered all over the place so ideally it's you, you want to find a reputable company. That will finance it and, and pay for it and, uh, you know, and do it would be the, the best yeah. way. But, you know, I mean, again, I, I have friends. I mean, if, if you know, if you have a friend with the means, you know, uh, I, I do have people that I, I know that have just raised it themselves and keep it. I mean, you know, I, I would think like the the biggest success story I can think of is Oren Pelly, who made Paranormal Activity. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, here's a guy who was an engineer, took, I believe, $13,000 of his own money bought a bunch of cameras at home, had the house, made this movie. This movie, no one cared about it, you know, got, um, you know, rejected by a bunch of film festivals. A small film festival in L.A., Scream Fest, picked it up and released it. We were there. Oh, you were there? Yeah, we were there for that. Oh, wow. The same year as uh, Trick or Treat. Oh, was it? Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I was there as well. Yeah, Yeah. we were there, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, you know, so no one cares, but all of a sudden, Scream Fest does it, and then I I, I forget, I think think Jason Blum got a hold of it, and, and, uh, you know, he was at Paramount at the time. They said, oh my God, this is great, let's remake it. Bought the movie, and then someone had the bright idea of like, let's not remake it, let's just release it as is. Ends up making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. The deal he had made, 
I think the distributor only got 30% of whatever it makes. He got 70, uh, you know, oh, wow. so, so this is why Oren Pelly, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being, you know, is not in a big rush to make another movie because he is fine. Yeah, you know? exactly. and, and he is living the dream. He is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm just going to buy a big house, raise my kids and, you know, and, and, uh, do my personal projects. And, you know, and so I feel that's like kind of the best independent film uh, story I can think of, you know, right. but and that, then Blumhouse, of course, making the springboard off of it really and becoming yeah, what it is totally, from, yeah. from doing yeah. that, that mentality, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So. Wow. You know, it's funny because with all the ways to get content, Netflix and all the streaming as a viewer of horror films, I'm always under the, the assumption that, oh, what? you know, all these places are looking for independent movies. All of this, you know, must be like a renaissance yeah. period of making movies. But to hear you say the other side of that yeah, is, there yeah, is I mean, the thing is, Netflix knows what they're worth and they know that they're the big dog and they know they don't have to pay you money. You know, they, they can. It's like, yeah, who else are you going to go to? You know, it's like, we'll give you a hundred grand and, you know, take it or leave it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so. So it is, it is difficult. It's great if you have a name and if like, you know, whatever you're JJ Abrams or whatever, you know, then then they're dying to like, okay, we'll give you a lot of money to 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 work on it. But when you're just an independent filmmaker, they 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 have no reason to Right. They want something to top. fit their algorithm. Yeah, totally. Have, yeah. yeah. Just just fill here's new stuff that we didn't pay that much for and, and fill it in there. So so it, it's tricky. It really is hard to be an indie filmmaker right now. I think it's just part of the appeal to why everyone should move towards TV because, you know, that there is certainly a no shortage of networks and platforms and streaming services. So, you know, I think that's kind of where, you know, the kind of the place to make original yeah, stuff is. Every day you find out there's like a new network or yeah, new TV totally. channel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But you, speaking about TV though, where do you think is the perfect platform for television considering like AMC versus HBO versus... There's so many good ones. I mean, you know, we live in a, a, such a great time where something like Ash versus Evil Dead can get made, you know, and, right. and you, you have something like, you know, it's a shame that they didn't continue it, but right. you have something like Stars that allows, you know, uh, uncensored splattery stuff to, to get right. made. Obviously, you know, if anyone could at hbo would be the you know the place that that you want to be it's the the highest quality the highest budget the you know that is the the benchmark at this point i would think for television so but you know again i just think you know there's so many there's a lot of places that that need content and so i think a lot of interesting things are getting made black mirror or or uh you know the end of the effing world you know i mean that's so good i wish the seasons were longer though yeah i watch them like a one night i know what's crazy is like 80 percent of that is written by one guy you know yeah. so, so oh, the fact that there's that much is amazing so what are you working on now i am uh writing on a show uh called stand against evil on ifc yes, yes. uh yeah. so uh i was very lucky to uh, dana gould who was in tales of halloween was kind enough to to bring me on board uh, of that and nice. let me write an episode which is really a very miniature version of one of my movies it's sort of an homage to meet the feebles oh. uh, so, so i'm very nice. excited to, to get the the chance to do that nightmare cinema which i mentioned i edited is about to come out uh in Fantasia, is premiering at the Fantasia Film Festival in July. The Municipal Waste uh, video that uh, that I produce should be done in about three weeks. Hopefully, we'll, we'll premiere it very soon. Trying to get my films funded, uh, editing a bunch of short films, trailers, you name it. And uh, yeah, uh, and then I think I'm probably going to co-produce a movie in New York in July, uh, just sort of helping out to, to get it made in a very cool indie horror film. So. So, you know, trying to stay busy. But, you know, the one thing I'm not doing is directing and it's pissing me off. (laughs) So so, trying to get back behind the camera. I miss it. So how do you decide what's your next project? 
it has to be something I'm passionate about, and it has to be something that I feel I can get funding for. Mm. At this point in my life, I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I found something that is like, okay, this is a great like six million dollar film or something like that, there's definitely I could take it to a Blumhouse or I could take whatever to to give it a try. But it's easier for me to get made something made under a million dollars. That that's an easier path for me. Uh, so I'm always looking for. Is it more important to have a script or to have a big name attached? I think the script is everything. I think you got a script and uh, obviously you're way ahead of the curve. You have a script and a name attached. I think that helps hugely. I mean, I don't, I don't think don't kill it would have, would have gotten made if we didn't have Dolph Lundgren attached. You know, I think that's a lot of the appeal. So in terms of uh, directing, what's your dream like subgenre? To, to direct oh well uh, like, like funny because we brought it up earlier like uh like a scooby-doo movie would be uh it would be perfect for me you know i, I like you <laughs> know rated I, r scooby-doo well someone asked me recently i was up for like a you know like a at a meeting at like a big company and they were like you know you're more like kind of horror comedy than horror horror you know what, okay. what kind of stuff what do you see uh in the theaters that you're like oh man i could direct that and, and so the answer to that is something like goosebumps you know uh like that's the kind of thing that i'm like man i think i would do just fine on that kind of that kind of thing you know something that is fun but has monsters in it and is is horror but at the same time a little bit light and kids could see it like Mm. i think i think i I would excel at something like that so uh men in black you know uh something that has a strong sense of humor but has a horror element uh to it but you know the the next one i'm I'm gonna try uh the one that i'm trying to get made right now is a a very purposeful attempt to just do something darker and not comedic and uh, just make kind of a more warped, you know, uh, kind of twisted film. Is there any movies out there now? Kind of what you're saying that you like, any independent or like? Oh, I love movies. movies. I mean, I mean I always, always, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think the last thing that I saw, I'm just going on what I saw this week, you know? So, so uh, last thing I saw that I absolutely love was, uh, the Joaquin Phoenix movie, You Were Never Really Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anybody seen no, it? Still no, still haven't seen it. It's on our list. It's, it's yeah. not a happy movie. Is it a horror movie or is it like, what is no, it? No, like, but it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. It, do you know the movie uh, Man on Fire with Denzel Washington? Yeah, yeah. that's a dark yeah. one. It's like a, like a more, edit, this is even darker. It's like a more darker psychological <laughs> wow. version of that. Wow. Yeah, Damn. yeah, it's awesome. Really, really cool movie. I uh, can't wait to see Hereditary. That's yeah. the one yeah. that I'm really yeah, excited, excited to, for that. That trailer's so good. Yeah. Quiet Place is pretty good. That's a yes. solid, yeah. solid horror yeah. film. I thought that was really good. That was a nice surprise. Uh, I hear good things about the movie Revenge, which is uh, currently playing. Yes. Uh, the uh, Again, the the uh, movie I mentioned that was a um, uh, Kickstarter thing with Pendulette Director's Cut is uh, is available right now. That's a very weird movie but but i think interesting very meta very uh very very different than anything i've seen in a long time i think mm. that's kind of a cool movie i was just curious real quick about the documentary that you did about masters of horror uh-huh. well I like how it came about and you know how did it affect you like did you have any major takeaways from that sure uh well so that that was a thing that i did in in uh, 2001 uh or 2002 i think it came out uh for universal and it was originally originally they they had made this uh I don't know if you remember. It's pretty old. A DVD called Boogeyman. Yeah, I remember. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they wanted to do a sequel to that, 
which was called uh, Masters of Horror, which was now kind of more about the individual filmmakers. The first one was more Freddy, Jason, Leatherface, Michael Myers. Now it's Wes Craven, John Carpenter. It's like the faces behind it or whatever. And I I had been approached because one of the people that worked at the offices knew I I would had worked with them on a film that never happened, unfortunately. And they're like, I know this guy who's a big horror geek, just knows everything about horror. Like, he'd be great for it. So me and uh, another filmmaker friend, Dave Parker, I brought him onto it and we just sort of uh, went out uh, to, to do this thing. And it was supposed to be a collection of clips originally, but we were like, look, we work for Universal. We can call these people and go, hey, we're making <laughs> And so and so we just sort of set out because it was going to be a DVD to just like, let's just make all these awesome special features and let's let's meet all our heroes, you know, uh, and it really was that that fanboyish and innocent of like, like, and again, it was just the way you did it. You know, it was like, you know, we'd call up John Carpenter and say, oh, we've got Wes Craven and George Romero. <laughs> we totally didn't. Uh, you know, uh, but but they'd hear the words universal and they'd hear that these other filmmakers are on and, and we got pretty much everybody. The only people that we weren't able to get were uh, Cronenberg. And I think that's more because they weren't going to fly us to Canada and Ra- and Sam Raimi, who's my hero. Uh, w- was the only person who kind of like straight up like nah I'm, I'm good I'm making Spider-Man have fun right uh, <laughs> got Bruce, you got Bruce Campbell we got Bruce Campbell yeah. we got Bruce Campbell yeah. the host. so uh, so we did all these extensive interviews which was just you know like a master class with your heroes I mean you know we got to spend like three hours with Wes Craven of he tells us stories wow. of Serpent and the Rainbow and stuff like that and that was amazing we got to sit with John Carpenter we got to sit with Romero we got to sit with uh, Rick Baker John Landis uh, Stuart Gordon you know uh, Wes Craven, like I mentioned. Uh, so, you know, and, and it was just, I mean, just the best. I mean, just amazing. And so, so we had shot all this stuff and then all of a sudden the Boogeyman DVD didn't do that well oh. and they were going to cancel it. Like the whole thing scrapped and I'm like, but we have all these great interviews. <laughs> oh. and, and so uh, literally next door there was a guy who just sold stuff and he's like, well, can you turn it into like a documentary? And, and I'm like, yeah. And so, and then he was able to go, we made like a little pitch reel and then he was able to go sell to Showtime as Mashes Horror. And so then we recut it as a documentary and we all had the film clips and everything. And so we loaded it with as many film clips as we wanted. And, uh, and it came out on, on Showtime. And, and what's funny is that then there was shortly after the series Masters of Horror, but has nothing to do with us. And I was always like, those motherfuckers. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> they sold the same thing, you know, to the same <laughs> network and we get oh. nothing. Those bastards. <laughs> and of course, life is funny because now I'm working with Mick Garris on the next incarnation. <laughs> and we're couldn't be any uh any bigger buds now so uh so life is funny sometimes so that's amazing (laughs) yeah it was great now the the only uh sad thing and this is i hate uh true of of my early work killers convent and masters of horror you can't find it the best place to find it is on youtube yeah Yeah, Uh, that's right yeah watch it on youtube yeah Yeah. Yeah. uh because uh, the the rights expired all these things and universal didn't really wasn't a, it wasn't a big enough title for them to kind of like, oh, let's relicense this stuff and release it. They were like, yeah, we made it. It was on television. We made our money. You know, on we go. So so the only place to really find it is YouTube, unfortunately. So but, you know, but at least it's there. So exactly. I, yeah. I, I love the thrill of discovery myself. I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, and I think it's a really special piece because you have, you have Guillermo del Toro in there before mm, he blew oh, yeah. up. You have Bruce yeah. Campbell hosting. You have really extensive interviews with a lot of people that don't do interviews that often, like Toby Hooper 
super like Wes Craven, you know, and, and you know, was really uh, 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 from a fanboy point of view of what you'd want to know, you know. Yeah. And I think the only thing, because it was for Universal, we had to kind of, which made it kind of interesting to a certain degree, we had to kind of steer towards certain movies. So it wasn't so much of like, we got Wes Craven, let's talk about Nightmare on Elm Street and Hills Have Eyes. It was more about like, well, what are the Universal movies? Uh, Serpent of the Rainbow, People Under the Stairs. Mm-hmm, right. But that's kind of cool because there's plenty of interviews where you can hear him talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. There's right. not that many yeah, where totally. you can hear him talk about Serpent and the Rainbow, you know, so. And Carpenter, we were lucky because, you know, the thing is universal and uh, Prince of Darkness is universal. And so, uh, you know, a lot of his big hits were universal. So so that worked out. And uh, Landis as well, American Werewolf and stuff like that, you know. Right. So, so, yeah, it was great. It was a really great project. Mike, thank you so much yeah. for joining thank us. You. Yeah. What, thank uh, you. What, what thank a joy. You. <laughs> Seriously awesome. All right. What an amazing <laughs> nice. place you guys are, that you have here. And, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, this, this is really awesome. So, yeah, totally. Am I interrupting something? <laughs> That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 17. Special thanks to our guest, Mike Mendez. Follow him at Madman Mendez on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And do not snooze on any of his films. They are so great, and he just simply gets what we horror fans want, as he is the ultimate fan himself. Over to Insta, sweet screams. <laughs> to Janet True Love, Madam Leatherface, Apathy, Miranda Wimsett. Thanks for keeping the conversation going, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it. If you headed over to iTunes, rate and review, it helps the show keep on going and we appreciate it so much Trav for the Boo Crew saying see you on the other side thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew podcast haunt the Boo Crew at talesfromtheboocrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo the Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb Leone D'Antonio Lauren and Trevor Shand Austin Wilkin and Rachel Tejada the Boo Crew is is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Fuck a duck.